Welcome to For the Record, where we speak with today's leading influencers and experts to discuss the latest trends in legal innovation and the business of law. I'm your host, Erin Harrison. Today, we're joined by Stephanie Corey, the co-founder of Uplevel Ops, consultants to general counsel and legal operations leaders to several organizations. Stephanie uh, spent the bulk of her career working on the in-house side and really helped put legal operations on the map. So welcome, Stephanie, to our program. Thanks, Erin. Thanks for having me. So for those uh, listening who are not familiar with with you, Steph, or with Uplevel Ops, um, it'd be great for you to just tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to to start the company, I think, uh, in 2016. Yeah, uh, it was like so many people who find themselves in legal operations. It was kind of one of those things where I you know, literally woke up and realized I'd spent 20 years supporting general counsels um, and, and didn't really plan on that when I, when I started my career. But I got this uh, great opportunity way back when at HP um, to run operations for their legal department and, uh, and was promoted to chief of staff there and ended up spending over a decade there. Um, while I was there, I started the CLOCK organization, the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium, um, way back when, when it was uh, um, a smaller organization than it is today, um, with the mission of, of promoting legal operations and, and helping ops people uh, share all kinds of resources so that they, they no longer had to kind of be out there on their own, but had a, a whole support system in place. Um, I then moved to VMware and then most recently Flex International. Um, and my GC and I, who I loved working with, decided that we would leave our corporate jobs and start up level five years ago, where now we go around and help all kinds of legal departments get that legal ops infrastructure set up. We, we help them assess what's happening in their department and find all kinds of ways to help them streamline their processes and help and select and implement technology and making sure the right work is being done at the right levels, all that good stuff. So it was really, you know, I think like so many ops people, just one of those things where the, the career path just kind of led here. Um, but it's been a really great journey, um, especially once I left my in-house role to consult. It's it's really fun here because we get to see just so many companies and, and all of the issues they're dealing with and help them along the way rather than just one, working for one company. So that's been really fun. And how did you, um, how did you sort of find yourself in, you know, especially with HP and that I know that was like the early days before legal operations was really like even a thing. What sort of led you to, to that point? Like what was your formal training and what you went to school for? Yeah, uh, uh, finance. And so I went to school for, I got my undergrad in economics I um, then got an MBA and thought I was headed down the um, um, path of becoming a financial consultant. And so I got my brokerage licenses and was working on a trading desk and really hated it. (laughs) I realized this is not the life for me, Um, investing other people's money. It just, it wasn't fun. And, um, and so I ended up in-house at a mortgage bank company where I was running their accounting and, um, and finance department. And that was much more fun where, you know, working on behind the scenes. I really enjoyed that. I always liked the numbers. I always liked the finance piece of it, 
but um but being behind the scenes and and just you know the the whole operations i think that the seeing the process of how the company operated was really interesting to me i had a friend then who was working for hp this is before you could really um you know they didn't have the big hr portals where you can apply online and he printed out this job rack and i thought okay they're looking for somebody with a finance background i think i can do this i had no idea what it entailed and and just did not understand <sighs> i was coming from the startup world so there was like one lawyer you know there there wasn't this huge department that hp had and so i interviewed and it was really just pure luck that um that i happened to get the job and it changed so drastically from it was very, very different from what I was doing. Um, and when I started, there was 200 people in the legal department. Um, but by the time I'd left a decade later, the department was 1,500 people. Wow. And so just massive growth. It was like the time to work for HP. It was just, it was the best company in the Valley. I was so happy to work there. And um, yeah, it was just a completely new experience. And and it, and because the department kept changing, um, it kept me interested, you know, that long. And I feel like I really cut my teeth there and learned all about what legal departments do in that role. Yeah. And it's sort of hard to believe that, um, you know, fast forward to today, that up-level ops has already been around for five years. Um, I think when I <laughs> yeah. first met you, I was <laughs> I was editor-in-chief of Inside Council, and it was the really early days of CLOCK. Uh, you're one of the founders of the the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium. Uh, when I first knew you, CLOCK was really a smaller organization, uh, more regionally focused by a number of tech companies in Silicon Valley, uh, which you alluded to. Mm -hmm. um, so getting back to you know where we are today, who, who are some of the clients that you work with now? And uh, tell our listeners a little bit about the approach that you take. Yeah, well, I think, Aaron, what's interesting is when John, my general counsel and I first started up level, what we assumed was, you know, the larger legal departments probably already have pretty mature ops. They won't be calling us. The very small legal departments probably aren't ready for it. It's, we're probably going to be operating in that midsize space. And while that certainly has been true, um, you know, and, and we, we've only over the last five years have had only a handful of the really, really large clients the majority, you know, was that small to midsize. But what I wasn't expecting, and I think the biggest surprise for me were the startups. And mm -hmm. so our, and, and it could be a function of um, the pandemic, because that's really when I started to notice the change. But these very, very small legal departments started calling us. Um, initially I would ask them, this is pre pandemic. I would say, okay, you're a solo GC. Why are you calling me? Like, why was I one of your first phone calls here? You know, as you start this role and, and their answer made so much sense. Once I thought about it, they just don't have the bodies to throw at the work. And as they hire attorneys, they don't want them tracking stuff on spreadsheets. They don't want them, you know, trying to there. There's always this aspect of the running of the legal department. It's business administration. If once you're in house, you mm -hmm. cannot get away from it. If you work for a corporation, right, it's just there. You have to speak to the finance team. You have to speak to the IT team. This stuff doesn't go away. You have to run the legal department. Well, these GCs didn't want their attorneys who weren't trained to do it, who weren't necessarily good at it, who didn't want to necessarily be doing it. They didn't want their attorneys focusing on this. They wanted their attorneys practicing law. 
And so they wanted this infrastructure in place very, very quickly. So whether it's, you know, tell me, do I do, do I use you up level as kind of a, a stopgap until, you know, we're big enough to hire um, the first part-time even ops person? Or, um, or is it a system that I need or, you know, an, an intake system so that we can see what work is coming in or, or help us with, with outsourcing, right? Like what should we, where should we be building those muscles in terms of, you know, outsourcing work that maybe um, isn't the highest value for the company, but just needs to get done. And then this way we can focus our attorneys on, on more strategic work. And that will ultimately save money because then it's not being outsourced to law firms. So really doing all of that examination. um, And so I think that, Aaron, has been the biggest surprise that while our bread and butter probably is still the midsize companies, we are getting so many calls and we're helping get um, these startup companies or startup legal departments, if you will, set up for them to scale. And so that's been kind of a really fun thing where we get to build it which I think every legal ops person at heart loves the building. And so that that's been really fun for us. Yeah. And I mean, I've been around long enough to know that I think you've played a pretty pivotal role in helping drive awareness of legal operations and its significance uh, within enterprises as well as uh, SMBs. Um, legal ops, I think, was pretty much unheard of in, in many circles, even, you know, maybe six years, five or six years ago. Um, what do you see as driving growth in this area, especially among smaller companies? As you mentioned, you're seeing a lot of traction there. Yeah, I think, you know, to your point, probably, you know, even five years ago, there were a lot of GCs who'd never even heard of legal ops. The bigger, the bigger departments certainly have, but but then the newer GCs and um, and it's it's really a confluence of a bunch of things, I think, because you've got technology now that is way more accessible to, to departments. So 10 years ago, you know, you were looking at constant uh, just struggles with technology because it was a multi-year, multi-million dollar implementation, no matter what system you were looking at. Tech just was way more difficult then. So now you're seeing technology that's so much more um, inexpensive. It's easier to implement. It's um, and there's so much competition. So if you don't like one system, there's another system right around the corner. You know, or it won't fit in your environment for some reason. There's another system that's going to work for you. And so the accessibility of technology, I think, has really helped um, make legal departments aware of better ways of doing things. The visibility of legal operations, um, because now it seems like, you know, I, I don't know any GCs who haven't heard of legal ops, at least in some capacity, even if they don't know everything that a legal ops person can do for them, they at least are aware of it. And uh, law schools are changing, right? They're starting to teach their new lawyers about the importance of learning how to run the business, because I think law schools aren't um, just graduating folks who are going to jump right into a law firm now. There are different career paths, right, where you're seeing some of these lawyers go directly in-house, where that was unheard of even 10 years ago. Um, Not unheard of, but certainly not as common as it is now. And so I think the model uh, in general has just changed, right? We've got different types of lawyers, more savvy lawyers coming out. We've got definitely more savvy general counsels. We've got um, companies who are no longer taking the excuse that legal is different. So GCs are now being held to budgets. They're being held to 
um, they're they're accountable now for how their department is operating and the spend and and uh, services they're providing. And you've got um, you know better technology, as I said, and you've got professionals who are now available to do exactly this. They're they're trained in legal operations, and this is what they do. So I think all of that together has really changed the environment and um, and made GCs just uh, more willing to bring this resource on board. Um, and before where you saw, you know, people really thinking of it as a kind of a glorified admin role as it was early on. It's a very, it's seen now as, as it's not a, a nice to have, it's a must have, and it's a very strategic role in legal departments mm-hmm. and it's, it's highly valued. So, um, so I think that the whole model has changed for the better. Yeah. It's been very interesting kind of seeing all this unfold and evolve over the last few years. What are what are some of the bigger challenges that you're seeing today within legal departments and specifically to, you know, how have some of the challenges changed or evolved since the pandemic hit, you know, just over a year ago? I think with what's kind of interesting is once the pandemic hit, you know, as with any downturn that I've seen in the past, I assumed we were going to be 100% focused on discounts with outside counsel and, and, you know, driving down rates. I, I literally thought to myself, oh, there, there goes all my interesting work. The rest of the year, I'm going to be, you know, calling law firms to negotiate better rates because that's what happened, you know, in every other downturn that I've lived through. It's just the GCs are always like, okay, now we got to save money. And where do you save money? Outside counsel. But it's, it's, it's an absolutely, it was, it was a very different experience than, than what I'd expected. Instead, there was, I didn't see any GCs um, having knee-jerk reactions. It was um, all about, do we have the right people doing the right things? And where can we automate? And where can we digitize across our department? So, you know, we talk about that, the digital strategy and all of that. Well, all of a sudden, when everybody's moved at home and they can't access their files, um, you know, it becomes way more important. And if, if not everybody has access to a shared uh, drive, that's a problem, you know, and so what are the better ways that we can collaborate and how do we now really digitize everything? And do I have the right people doing the right thing? So, you know, do I have five attorneys dedicated to NDAs? You know, that's a problem when when that can now be automated or outsourced or whatever. And so we really saw, uh, I think, again, for all the reasons I talked about with just operations and technology and, and everything being so much easier and less expensive than it used to be. Now with the pandemic hitting um, GCs who are kind of on the edge of, oh, I, yeah, this is, you know, obviously a priority I need to be thinking about, but there's so many other things that really pushed them over the edge. And all of a sudden that stuff became front and center. And so instead of getting the phone calls about, hey, help us get volume discounts, which of course we still do within all the work that we do, it was really more about, I need to be efficient. I need to be automated. We need, I've heard so many GCs this year say to me, we need to bring, you know, our GC or I mean, our legal department into this century, like, like help, help me um, really um, get our legal department in tip top shape. We want to have a world-class operations. And so I, I didn't hear that as much in years past. And so I, I think that was a silver lining of the pandemic that it really did make GCs focus on, you know, how they want their department to be aligned for the future. Mm-hmm. And I, I think arguably legal departments have been in the driver's seat uh, in terms of 
driving innovation within the practice of law. I'm curious, Steph, do you equate technology with innovation? Um, sometimes, you know, it doesn't, technology does not equal innovation. And so innovation can come in any forms. It's really just finding a different and better way of doing things. And so, um, you know, sometimes it's a process improvement. Sometimes it's working with different types of people. So I think something that was very innovative is having, you know, other types of professionals within legal departments rather than just lawyers. I always use the example of your doctor's office. When you step foot in, you know, the doctor's office, the vast majority of people that you meet there are not doctors, right? It's everybody else running the office, running the building, um, you know, and, and often you don't even see a doctor your whole visit there, right? You might see the, the medical assistant and the PA or nurse practitioner. Um, and then if it's serious enough, you see the doctor and there's no reason that legal departments shouldn't be run in that same fashion. And so, um, you know, in that particular instance, that has nothing to do with technology, but it is innovative to have the right people doing the right kind of work. And so, um, so I think innovation just comes in, in many forms and, uh, I'm pretty open-minded about what I consider innovative. Um, anytime a legal department sees, uh, you know, I celebrate wins all the time. It's the way to keep people going. And, um, if they find a, a new and better way of doing something, as far as I'm concerned, you know, check, check and, and way to go. It's, it's, a uh, it's innovative. So I, uh, you know, sometimes it is technology and, and we've certainly seen amazing technology come out, especially in the last couple of years, but it doesn't have to be. You know, there's obviously a lot of legal technology tools on the market today, you know, many, many of which sort of purport to solve similar challenges. I'm curious, how how can legal operations uh, best measure the ROI of specific tools or how should they at least be thinking about return on investment when it comes to technology? It's a great question, Erin. And I think, you know, again, back to my initial point of legal departments are held to budgets now. And, um, and I don't work with any legal department who doesn't have to answer to a CFO in some capacity. And so the days of being able to do whatever they wanted are long over, especially when you're trying to, you know, work with not only finance, but you've got to work with IT and, hey, why do you really, do you really need to use the system? Is there something we can repurpose? And sometimes there is. You really do have to have a business case for pretty much everything you do within the legal department. So whether it's implementing a new tool or bringing, you know, an, an alternative service provider on board or a consultant on board, um, you have to justify that. And so I think the the key for building an ROI is really looking at how the work is done now, what the actual cost is, and whether or not that new tool. Um, that new system, that new service provider, whatever it is, is uh, the benefit of that is going to outweigh the current reality. A, a great example is we worked with a client who had this old system and they said, you know, it's only costing X, let's call it $100,000 a year to keep this system up and running. It doesn't make sense to go out and procure a new system. It's, it's going to be way more expensive to hire you guys to get the new system, to get it implemented, to the time with the team, et cetera. But when we did the ROI, we did an assessment and we went out and talked to everybody using the system. And it was out, it was not just legal, it was it was other people outside of legal, and had found that the system was so complex and so outdated that 
every department had either implemented their own system, their own workarounds, their own people to manage that whole process. That as it turned out, when we calculated the true cost of the people who were managing this, it was actually millions of dollars. And so that's what I encourage teams to do is really look at how the work is getting done and what that total cost envelope is, because it's not just the cost of the external tool. It's everything related to it. Workarounds, manual tracking, hiring people to manage it, having to go to outside, you know, whatever providers or law firms in order to, to get the answers that you can't get internally. And so the, the overall cost is often far more than um, than what you you expect it to be. So make sure when you're building that ROI, you're looking at the whole picture because that's gonna show you that if you can reduce that, and I mean, even we came to the point where like, even if you streamline that by 20%, you're saving a ton of money. And so that's really the answer that you come to. And that's what's gonna be, I think me coming from my finance background, you know, I, it, it helps because that's how I look at things. And it, it is going to be a more compelling story to tell your finance team and your IT team when you're trying to justify these new programs. Yep, I think that makes a lot of sense. You know, generally speaking, bigger legal departments tend to have more resources. Curious about small legal departments. Where what are some things that they can do to create efficiencies for the company? You know, where might be some of the the lower hanging fruit? Yes, the the bigger legal departments do technically, you know, usually they they have deeper pockets, they have more resources. But the good news is the smaller legal departments um, can do a lot to make themselves more efficient. And um, and with those, you know, with these bigger legal departments, they do have deeper pockets, but they require more. And so their solutions tend to be much more complex, much more expensive. And so as you look at these really small legal departments, there are things that can be done for, you know, that are fairly inexpensive that are pretty life changing for these legal departments. And so things like automating intake, well, you can get a tool for, you know, well under $100,000 that can automate intake and workflow. Um, if you're looking at that for a large department, it, it, it will it could end up costing hundreds of thousands of dollars versus the 50 or 60K it would cost a small legal department. And so it does seem to follow that, um, you know, the bigger the department, the more complex, the more expensive the solutions, these smaller departments can do things a lot cheaper. And so things like automating intake, like I talked about, workflow tools are incredibly helpful. They help give some visibility to the general counsel on the types of work coming in. And then that helps build the business cases. Like when you've got increased, you know, work streams, you know, do we need to hire, you know, an alternative service provider, have more outside counsel, or maybe it is time to bring in an internal resource and reduce both, both of those things. So once you have the data, you can actually make those decisions. So we look at things like, um, you know, that intake, the workflows and self-help tools can be very, very helpful because if clients can go to the legal internet site and download trainings or view trainings, download templates, you know, get resources there, then that reduces the amount of work, especially the repetitive work coming into the legal department. And that can be very helpful and time-saving for, um, for the legal team. So looking at knowledge management, um, looking at, you know, intake workflow and self-help, I think is, is step one for the smaller legal departments. They'll see a big return there. That's great advice. On the flip side, I'm curious to hear 
advice for a, a different group. Um, legal tech as a whole has been, become rather crowded in the last few years. It's really exploded, um, especially in the contract space. If you could give one piece of advice to the people on the other side, the vendors, legal technology providers, what sort of advice would you give? Make it obvious how your tool is a must-have for these legal departments. And so, so many times I've sat in demos where the one of the things we've learned to do is when we're bringing in, you know, a vendor for a demo, we tell them, look, this is what the, the legal department, this is their struggle. Please demo this. You know, we give them very specific use cases. So we really target that, you know, kind of uh, hone them in on what what solutions they're going to be demoing. And the reason we do that is because I've seen so many bad demos in my 20 plus years of working with tech vendors um, where they they'll come in and just be, you know, they don't do their research. They don't understand what it is that they're trying to show. And they they have a script and they're going to follow that script. And it's a mistake. Um, and so you need to understand what the pain points are and show how your tool is going to solve those pain points and be very specific. Legal departments, I don't know if this is me as a finance person by training, now a legal professional, um, attorneys, all of the people that I work with, we're not super creative thinkers in terms of like, uh, we cannot visualize what your tool can do for us. You need to make that obvious for us. And so I've sat through some pretty frustrating demos where I've even tried to steer, you know, the solution, uh, the, the person running the, the demo and say, okay, well, we, we get that, but please show us X, Y, Z. And they still go about their merry way. And so my best advice to legal tech providers is know what you're, you know, know understand the situation, know what you're getting into and be very responsive to the client's needs and explain to them how your tool is going to solve those needs. If it's not a good fit, it's not a good fit. Walk away from it. It's, nobody's going to win, right? If you try to squit that, fit that square peg into the round hole, nobody's going to be happy at the end of that. Right. And so really, you know, I, I, I think it's understanding what so the solution is that you're trying to solve for or what the problem is and and understanding whether or not your tool can actually do that those are those are the two biggest things i think as they're developing new tools that's a harder one Aaron cuz back to your you know point of the, the market there is a lot of saturation especially in certain areas you can google contract management and see how many tools pop up um, people don't know how to use artificial intelligence is a great example Mm -hmm. And so um, I think it's as a provider, you really have to find the problem that you're solving and stay kind of laser focused. Because I think it, it, it that's the other thing is being the tool that's going to be the all things to all people. It's we're just not there yet. And I'm always skeptical of tools that say, oh, yeah, we can do everything. And I think clients are skeptical of that as well. I also wanted to ask you, I mean, we won't we won't necessarily go down the rabbit hole of, of ALSPs, but I think we've seen a lot of news articles and just sort of general conjecture about um, the pandemic and how it's accelerated innovation within traditional legal services. Would you say from where you sit, are you seeing law firms um, get savvier or more innovative in terms of the way that they're delivering legal services? Oh, that's such a good question. I think I haven't yet seen what the pandemic has done for law firm innovation. So I, I think it's a little too early, at least I'm, I'm not in, you know, let me, let me couch this all in that. I'm not in the, the law firm world 
on a daily basis. So I only see, you know, the services that they're providing to my clients. And when I was in-house, obviously the services they were providing to us. And so let me start by saying I'm not behind the scenes there. So there could be a lot going on that I'm not seeing. Um, but that being said, I think it's, it could be an accelerant. I would like to see a lot more um, um, in terms of innovation. The bar has been set really low. I think right now law firms are still in that place of that mindset of if I do great legal work, then that's all I need to do. And that's really just table stakes, in my opinion. Um, you need to do great legal work. If you don't, we're going to go to another law firm. But what else can you do for us? And so, you know, I always talk to firms about in terms of providing data and and um, and a story around that data. Like, okay, at the end of the year, share with me everything that you've worked on for us. And what are you seeing? What what does it say about us? Like, are there certain things we should be doing better, differently? Um, are there things that you can be doing to help us? Uh, or can you be a better partner to us by by looking at the work that you're doing and how we've done and all of that? So I think, and, and they have this information, so it's not much of a stretch. I just think very, very few uh, law firms actually do this. Um, and then in terms of collaboration and knowledge portals, I mean, that's, that's an area where uh, law firms have always been better than legal departments, how they collaborate with each other, how they store documents, document management, all of that. And because their knowledge is, is everything to a law firm and, um, and legal departments are just far behind them. And so, you know, sharing that information, um, helping their clients, you know, and you don't have to do it with every single client, but your key clients, this is where, what you should be doing. And so I just haven't seen a ton of that yet. Um, I'd like to see more law firms are talking about it, especially in the UK. I'm seeing what appear to be a lot of innovative law firms. Um, but I think, you know, to, if I'm totally honest, Aaron, they have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. That's fair. Yeah, I think the collaboration aspect, as you mentioned, is really critical. And I think we're, we are seeing more of that. And, and certainly both sides have their, their strengths and weaknesses. Um, before we wrap up, Steph, any sort of trends that you're seeing that you wanted to talk about um, and share with listeners or any sort of predictions for how the rest of this year might go? You know, I think I suspect what we're going to see is continued work on org design. And, and what I mean by that is looking at how and how, how the work is coming in, how it's getting routed and who is doing the work. And so GC is really focusing on, you know, it's one thing to say, I need whatever, a contracting system, I need an e-billing system, but really taking a step back and looking at what, what should my priorities be as a legal department? What do we want to keep in-house? What's strategic and core to the company? What do we want to outsource on both the low level, meaning to an alternative provider and on the high level to a law firm? Um, and how do I want my people to develop? And, you know, and, and what do I want the steps within my organization to be for people development? Looking at that and understanding that is really critical for all GCs. And then everything else kind of falls, will fall into place beyond that. Then you've got, uh, you've got your ops manager who hopefully is building a strategic plan. Okay. You know, they understand this is the GC's vision, mission. This is what the GC wants to do. Then you develop an operational plan. How do I get there? So the GC is the what, the legal ops professional is the how, how do we get there? 
And building that strategic plan will incorporate, you know, what providers are we going to use? What priorities are we going to tackle first? What technology are we going to use? That That's the nitty gritty details. And, and it's so critical because, you know, you can have the best plan in the world, but it's all about the execution. And so I think really having, you know, a good ops person and in place, either, you know, um, through a provider like me or, or an internal person, understanding what the plan is and executing on that plan. If you do that year one, year two, year three, you're going to have a see massive changes in your department. And I think looking back over a two to three year period, you're going to have a completely different part, department than where you started out. I've been speaking with Stephanie Corey, the co-founder and partner of Uplevel Ops. Thanks Steph so much for speaking with me today. I really appreciate it. Erin, I really appreciate you having me. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this episode of For the Record. You can listen to more episodes of For the Record wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts or go to platform.com forward slash for the record. Platform helps established leaders and emerging growth companies articulate how cutting edge technologies and services are reshaping and reinventing the world we live in. Until next time, this is Aaron Harrison.